0: The message comes to us today from the 24th psalm, and it reads like this. The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false— does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the blessed word from our Lord.
1: We are in the next to the last uh, sermon in a series uh, on praying the Psalms, and it has been so good. And we have looked at the different kinds of Psalms, and this morning's Psalm is a messianic or a royal psalm. And so we'll jump into that and, and, and see what is its significance for us. Uh, the title of the message is Praying in the Middle. Praying in the Middle. So the question may come is, is from you is, what in the world are you talking about? What does it mean to pray in the middle? It reminded me, as uh, I want to help you to get and understand what it means to pray in the middle, it reminded me of proposing to my wife. Um, she and I dated, and you know when you have that moment when you know she's the one, right? So I had that moment, and immediately I went to go look for rings. And so I would never bought a diamond before and had no clue of the, the four C's until I went to to do this deed of buying Wendy's ring. And I discovered that I needed to know things like color and clarity and carrot and um, uh, there's one, a cut. Those were the four C's. And then if you were me, there was a fifth called cost. Um, That one uh, factored in perhaps more than the other four uh, put together. If you see Wendy's ring, you'll understand. And so I went looking and it was an adventurer just trying to find the ring. And so I was trying to find a good deal, and and yet, uh, uh, being the nerd that I am, I'd studied up. I knew that some came with certificates, some did not. Uh, the value of it long term was dependent on what was in that box, and and that uh, certificate from the something society, and I knew, I'd, I'd learned all this. So a friend of mine said, "Hey, I." I Let me tell you where I went. You need to go. And I still remember to this day driving to Raleigh and going to this location to discover that it was on the third floor of a random office building. And when I walked in and they um, uh, went into this suite and they ushered me back into a room and opened uh, these, these briefcases of diamonds, I just knew that the cops were going to bust in at any point. And I thought, where am I? Like, this does not seem legal. Uh, so I didn't buy one there, but I bought her ring. And then on December 23rd, I uh, proposed to her. And uh, this is how I roll. I. I, uh, I plan everything to a T. And so I planned to propose to her and uh, we would go to dinner at Olive Garden. We would go over and uh, walk around uh, the Grove Park at Christmas. And then I would, uh, I had some friends waiting there and we would celebrate with them. And this was all planned. And my wife has never worked by, by one of those. I mean, still, uh, she, she does her deal and so we get to olive garden it was so funny i called ahead because that's where our first date was and i called ahead to find the booth that we had our first date in and i told them when i come in and you hear my name that's where we're to be seated and i remember sitting there thinking i am the man Like, I have planned this to a T. And Wendy looks over at me, and she points to a booth across the aisle, and she said, do you know what the funniest thing is? And I said, what? She said, we sat right over there on our first date. (laughs) Oh, I so thought I knew it. And I had no clue. She had no clue I was going to propose to her. She decides she needs to develop a personal relationship with our waitress. I'm like, honey, she doesn't matter. You know, I have a schedule. And so we finally get out of there. We get to Grove Park. I planned a whole speech. I speak for a living. This should be good. And so I plan for a whole speech. And I get down on my knee. And all I said was, will you be my wife? That was it. Like there was nothing more. Thankfully, she said yes. And then the work was over, right? No. Oh my. Engagement. Engagement. What is engagement? Engagement is that period of time where you work tirelessly to plan a wedding, attend premarital counseling, and and deal with venues and menus. That's engagement. And I thought that time was going to last forever. It was this window of time. And I I just thought it's never going to come to an end. It's the middle. And that's where we live today. If you know Christ, we're in the engagement period. The, The marriage supper of the Lamb hasn't happened yet. The wedding hasn't taken place. Yes, you belong to him, but there's... There's so much more, and we look forward, and the question is, if we are in this middle, how do we pray in the middle? And it is the Messianic Psalms or the Royal Psalms that give us insight on how to pray in the middle. Three simple principles, but yet profound. Number one, acknowledge God as creator acknowledge God as creator the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who live in it for he founded it upon the seas he established it upon the rivers one commentator has said that in this one verse we we discover that God started everything and therefore owns it since he created it it is indeed his And this reality of God as our creator is essential to our faith. Those of you who are here going to Montreat, you're going to a college that affirms God as your creator and really is built on that premise. Some of you uh, here are going to public school in the next week. Perhaps you're already there and you may have to take this subject up with your teacher. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now I want to just barely jump in the shallow end of some philosophy for a moment. If you do not believe God is creator, then there is no fixed value. There's no fixed place at which value is determined. So then, by deduction, your value is based upon your ability to perform. Your value is Not fixed, it's relative. It's based upon your ability to perform. If you are good, then you're more valuable. And if you aren't as good, you are less valuable. This is why Darwin, in his thinking, would talk about the survival of the fittest and erroneously apply it to human beings. It says that your value is determined by your ability to survive and thrive. Just this week, I think it was CBS ran a special on Iceland and Iceland's 10 plus year attempt at eradicating Down syndrome. As a matter of fact, last Year, there were only two or three babies born in the entire country of Iceland with Down syndrome, and they said that's because they missed it in the prenatal screening. So once parents discover their babies have Down syndrome, they abort them. Lest you think too much of us and too little of Iceland between 95 and 2011 we're at 67% in this country of those babies france is at 77% denmark 98% in this place in february it becomes a remarkable place as we partner with the Tim Tebow Foundation and do night to shine, and our room is filled with these people. How did we get here? If there is no fixed value based upon your being created in the image of God, then your value is determined by your capacity. And if your capacity is diminished, your value is diminished. And if then your value is diminished because your capacity is diminished, you're assumed not to be needed. So older folks with dementia, euthanasia is our response prenatal screening to get rid of children that may not be able to contribute as others do so so if we're going to learn to pray in the middle students listen to me you cannot lose grip of the reality that God created it is the beginning point it is the first point on the map it is the true north. It is what the compass always goes back to. And if we lose sight of it, everything begins to unravel. And that's where we are. So much so that CBS was rattled by this. It means that God values unborn babies and he values those born with all kinds of difficulties. So if God created the earth and owns it all, what are the implications? Uh, One of the commentators listed these, I guess you might say categories, that all occur in verse 1. The solid earth, he says, the earth. The solid earth is God's, take care of it. That's implication number one. The earth belongs to the Lord. It isn't yours. Uh, You may own an acre or two or 300, but it's on loan. It belongs to God. Take care of it. The solid earth is God's. Take care of it. Secondly, the fruitful earth is God's. Use it. Uh, God made the earth fruitful so that we could eat. Aren't you glad? It's God's so Use it. And finally, the peopled earth is God's. Evangelize it. Go share the gospel with the peopled, the populated earth, regardless of race, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic status. It does not matter. Uh, All people created by God, loved by him, valued by him. They belong to him and are worthy to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ, amen? And so acknowledge God as creator. Secondly, acknowledge yourself as seeker. If God is so high and so holy as to create with only a spoken word, then verse three makes sense. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? There is something in us that wants to know God. Uh, whether you recognize it or not, Ecclesiastes says there, God has put eternity in your heart. You want to know him. And you will feel that with so many different things people do. But, but God has put a vacuum, a void, an emptiness there that longs for him. Uh, But then there is this distance. We want to know him, but we don't. It reminds me, and it's appropriate with uh, all of our students here this morning, of when I was going into college, it was a long time ago, because I'm old, Uh, how long ago we didn't have the internet, All right, so it was pre-internet and today, uh, you know, you get your, if you don't have a roommate and you get his or her name, you can just go stalk them, right? You, You go stalk them on social media. You'll learn most anything you want or didn't want to know. But when I went to college, no internet existed and I just simply received a letter saying, this is your roommate, all right? And so when I saw his name, I was like, who the heck is this guy, Ashish Gajanan Shambhag? And so I saw that name and I thought, whoa, you know, wonder who this is, where he is from, etc., etc. This is the dude I could potentially spend the next four years of my life within a tiny little room at, at Wofford College. And so, who is this dude? But he had to wonder the same thing, because for whatever reason, my parents named me Jerry Lee Lewis. And so he must have been sitting on the other side of the letter going, who is this guy? Does he wear cowboy boots? Is he bringing his piano with him? Did he marry his cousin? I mean, all kinds of things had to be going through his mind. So what did we do before we went to college? I called him up. And when I did, all we talked about was, well, you've got this, I've got that. You bring this, I'll bring that. We got a room together and that was it. One phone call. We show up that day, and I met him and moved my stuff in. It's in a sense that way of knowing God, isn't it? He's so other than. He's so different than. He is so far removed from us, but yet we want to know him. The hill of the Lord was a poetic way of describing Jerusalem. So this causes us then to ask for the occasion of the psalm. So this psalm was written two years into David's reign. David became king, and when he did, Jerusalem was not the capital city of Israel. And so he set out to do that, and it took two years. And in two years, Jerusalem is ready. The walls are built and fortified. The gates are in place. The city is ready. For what? It is ready for this piece of furniture. Believe it or not, a piece of furniture. It wasn't just any piece of furniture. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was not yet in Jerusalem. It was 10 miles north in a town called Kiriath-Jerim. And that's where the Ark was, in Kiriath-Jerim. And so what does David do? This is unbelievable. David takes 30,000 soldiers... 30,000 soldiers marches 10 miles north to Kiriath-Jerim and gets the Ark of the Covenant out of the home of, uh, of Obadidim uh, who have been caring for the Ark. And they put it on the poles, and they begin the ten-mile march to the city of Jerusalem. Commentators rightly say, because if you look in Chronicles and in 2 Samuel to the description of this march and of this event, this was the climax in Israel's history up until this point. This is why God took Israel out of Egypt. This is why God made a, a, a covenant with Abraham. This is why God anointed David to be king for this one purpose because he wanted to dwell among his people and be their God and they would be his well how, how big is this the ark is on its way. Uh, the oxen are carrying it. It has poles that go through the rings on its side because no one can touch it. The oxen stumble when they do. Uh, a guy by the name of Uzzah That's what you or I would have naturally been inclined to do. Simply reaches out his hand to steady the ark and when he does, God kills him for it. If you're a thinking person there ought to be right now a little war going on in your mind. The God who cannot wait to be in and among his people, who has built up all of Israel's history to this point, that same God says, I want to be among you. But Uzzah you can't touch the symbol of my presence. In theology, we call this the transcendence and the eminence of God. He is other than. This is why he is never to be referred to as the man upstairs. His name never to be used as a byword he's other than he spoke and the universe came into existence he is other than that's his transcendence lose sight of that and you will operate in your own power by your own volition to do your own thing but then he's imminent he's here he, he wanted to be among His people. You say, well, well, Jerry, that's confusing. It is. That's life in the middle. Isn't it? This is where we wrestle. But I want to figure Him out. No, you don't. No. If you can, He ceases to be God. He's other than. He's transcendent. But he's imminent and near and close. And so they get the ark to the city. And then this question now becomes quite clear. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? If if I'm just trying to save the ark from falling and I touch it and die, well, how in the world am I to to go into the holy place. The ark was, was to be in the tabernacle, temple not yet built, massive tent with a nine-inch thick curtain that separated it in the holy of holies from the rest of that tabernacle. Who can go in there? Well, here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Well, what does that mean? Are you ready for this? The person who does the right thing, clean hands, for the right reason, pure heart. That's what that is. The person who does the right thing for the right reason. This all of a sudden becomes more difficult than I thought. Why? I I will confess, and the rest of you men can say amen or just be quiet and pretend you've never done this. I before have loved my wife for the wrong reasons. Right? It is possible that I can preach, which is the right thing, but to get accolades from you, which is the wrong reason. It is possible that as we trek to Senegal in January, uh, by the Lord's will to be out in the bush and deserve that i could go to senegal which is the right thing but because i think since i'm going into such discomfort and difficulty that god somehow is is in my death. right so all of a sudden clean hands and a pure heart is a very high standard isn't it thank god for verse five He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Well, how can you have clean hands and a pure heart if God gives it to you? Here it is. He will receive blessing and righteousness. The very righteousness you long for, you cannot achieve. You can only receive. Don't ever lose sight of that. The only time you will have clean hands and a pure heart is when God, by his grace, gives you the capacity to have clean hands and a pure heart. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So this God who is so holy, who is so untouchable, wants to give us his righteousness. That's unreal, isn't it? Look at this. Without his blessing and without his righteousness, we are on the outside looking in. We are. And then I love verse six such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. All right, so this verse has been often misquoted and misunderstood. Why? The word generation. Because when we see the word, we assume maybe a 20 year period of folks born. And, and we pray, God, raise up a generation of people who seek you, who seek the face, the what? The face of this God who is unapproachable and dwells in uh, inapproachable light, uh, who seeks the face. So what does generation mean here? The, it literally means breed of people. It, it means the kind of people. Uh, so, so that means it's cross-generational. All right, so it means they're college students who, in your first weekend at Montreat, are in worship seeking the face of God, right? And then I look over here and see Bill Hyatt, who is here, and Bill is 80, right, Bill? 80 years old, and he's seeking the face of God, and uh, Kayembe is seeking the face of God. What do they have in common? There is a desire in them to know God. That's the breed. That's what it means. It's a desire to know him, though you know you can never know him like you really want to know him. You're not going to stop trying to know him because somewhere in you is a desire to know him. And when you're 80 and you still don't know him, Like you want to know him, or you're 20 something and you still don't know him like you want to know him. You're of the same breed. That's what this is. Such is the breed of those who seek him, who seek his face. And so, my question is are you of that breed? Are you, or are you here because it's the South and it's Sunday and it's 11 and you go to church? Are you seeking him? If we're going to pray in the middle, we acknowledge him as creator. And number two, we acknowledge him. We acknowledge ourselves as seekers we're seeking him finally we acknowledge jesus i love this as the coming king of glory there has to be a future look all the messianic psalms look future right so when we get to the last part the ark has arrived at the city gates and i want to read for you it'll be on the screen from second samuel what's going on it was told king david the lord has blessed the household of obadidim and all that belongs to him he had the ark of the god there so david went and brought up the ark Remember, 30,000 soldiers from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. I love this. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David lost it. He lost it, so much so that his wife watching uh, from, from, the, from the palace mocked him because of his lack of dignity in worshiping. And David danced before the Lord with what? How much? All his might. He he was of the breed of those who seek the Lord. You see, he danced with all his might. He sought the Lord with all his heart. And so David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And then the next few verses now make sense. There are back and forth from those inside the city and those outside the city, right? You got your 30,000 outside the city, they're, they're yelling into the city, asking that the gates be opened, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then those inside the city go, who is this king of glory, right? That's what's happening here. Uh, this is a pep rally on steroids, This is tens of thousands of people anticipating the arrival of the King of Glory and represented by this Ark of the Covenant. So I couldn't resist. We're going to do it this morning. If you're kind of middle and to my right, you are uh, outside the city. You're the 30,000. If you are middle and to my left, you're inside the city. We're going to yell back and forth. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. Here it is from outside the city. Let's go. This group. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And you say... Who is this king of glory? And you say, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And you say, who is this king of glory? And you answer, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now there's something interesting. Good work, by the way. The Lord of hosts, it's the first time this name of God shows up in Psalms. First time. But it wasn't the first time it showed up on the lips of David. No. No, you see, something happened when David was just a young teenager. Samuel showed up, anointed him king. He went back to being a shepherd and when he did, he, he built quite a resume. He, he killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. And then his daddy sent him in to see his brothers to carry their lunch. And he gets there and he discovers Goliath. And Goliath is intimidating the entire army of Israel. Everybody is standing down. This is indeed uh, an awful, shameful day in the history of Israel. And David and Goliath have a little exchange. When the Philistine, Goliath, looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. And I just imagine the ha, ha 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 at the end of that. Then David said to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Well, Yes, that's how people fought in that day. But I come to you in the name of who, class? The Lord of hosts. There he is, the Lord of hosts. So who is the Lord of hosts? Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord who fights for you. That's what the Lord of hosts means. The Lord of armies, the Lord who fights for you, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is whose? The Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. Jehovah Sabahot, the Lord of hosts. K. Arthur says this name of God meets failure and offers deliverance. Well, it would be many years hence that outside the city of Jerusalem that Jesus would ascend. He did not look like a king, though he wore a crown. His royal purple robe ripped from his body his open back from the beating bled profusely he was naked to mock him they took a sign and put it over the cross that said hail king of the jews He hung there while those who thought they had the power did what they did. But at the end, he cried these words. It is finished. Now, I want to push rewind now all the way back to the day of atonement in that temple, in that holy place where the ark stayed. They would take a goat and they would take and put the sins of the people symbolically on that goat's head. And then they would send the goat out of the temple. Out, out, out. There would be men who would stand about every 20, 30 yards, making sure the goat went until it finally careened to its death over a cliff. And when it did, those men would turn and they would yell a phrase until it made it all the way back into the temple. And do you know what that phrase was? It is finished. It is finished. It is, it is finished, 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 was yelled again and again and again until they got back into the temple and they knew that once again for the next year their sins were atoned for. But when Jesus said that, he only had to say it once, just once, why? Why? Because he was the king of glory. He was the king of glory. Death cried out in defeat. Sin cowered under his holiness. Hell trembled as the earth shook. The Lord of hosts won the battle by dying, gained our victory through his loss. And three days later rose victorious over our worst enemy and our greatest fear, death. but we live in the middle, don't we? We do. We, we live in the middle. The marriage hasn't happened yet, but lest you picture him hanging, bleeding on the cross, he had a best friend whose name was John. And toward the end of John's life, John saw Jesus like he never saw him when Jesus was on planet Earth. Let's listen.
0: Then I turned to sleep the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden satchel on his chest, the hairs of his head were white, His feet were like furnace bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp wish. people. Mm-hmm. temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty in the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun and moon to shine on it for the glory of God is his light and the land is the Lamb. And by its light all nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean who does the false but only those who
1: are written in the land in the land Amen Let's stand and worship in the middle Let's sing